This is Portland Radio Project, KSFL LP 99.1 FM and PRP.FM. We support the local music community by bringing our listeners a local artist every 15 minutes. It's our goal to connect you with our amazingly talented local music scene. I'm Veronica Bezesti, and I'm here to do a little bit of that connecting. Please join me in welcoming to the PRP studio vocalist, songwriter, and community activist, Sarah Clark. Hi, everybody. Hey, Sarah. Hey, how's it going? I, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, let us interview ya. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. You may best know Sarah as the dynamic front woman of local neo-funk group Dirty Revival, but she got a few other things up her sleeve, and we need to hear some music. Sarah, give us some background on this first tune that we're going to hear, Better Ways. Absolutely. So this was a collaboration with a very, very close friend um, of mine, Samuel Eisen Myers, who not only is an incredible musician, um, he's also just kind of an all-around incredible artist, um, multimedia artist working with paint and space. And, wow. Um, really, really an incredible person in our community. Another huge activist. He spends a lot of time a lot of time and energy trying to figure out how to make this world as best as it can be. Um, and so we were able to connect, um, a lot this last year or so. And he had asked me to sing this song, um, with him. And so we sat down together and kind of picked apart the lyrics a little bit. And I was really blown away by the premise of it and the idea of, of the whole thing. One of the things that I really think is beautiful about him and the way that he sees the world is that there is always a way to fix what maybe seems and feels to be broken. Um, but he, you know, he doesn't shy away and not like from the things that seem to be, you know, messy in our world. And so a lot of our friendship has, has grown with us having these conversations about the things that we see out there that, that seem, um, you know, not as good as they could be. And then, and then moving on from that, a lot of dialogue about what can we do to make things better. He's a huge inspiration in my life. And so when we had the opportunity to work together um, and he invited me to record the song with him, I obviously jumped at it. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of his anyways. I really, the work that he did, he produced the whole thing as well. So like oh, okay, that all the soundscapes and everything that he created, I just, I was just really blown away by his vision for this piece and really, really grateful to be to be a part of it. All right. Well, this is SEM and Sarah Clark with Better Ways on Portland Radio Project. It's Tristan. All news outlets reporting that this electoral system in our quite frightening belief system in electoral politics, one person being elected to somehow represent our values. Joy, how I wish that we could feel the same 
Nothing more than a vote for a simple change. What are they about a party that we Shows of a love, a future that can look beyond this broken map of change. change. My brain, brain, brain. All this time we've been saying, saying, saying. All this time we've been praying, praying, praying. No, all this time we've been training, training. The imagery is so powerful in those words, Sarah. That is an amazing song. 
Thank you so much. Well, I, Sammy gets a lot. I mean, <laughs> I know it's a beautiful song. His work on that was beautiful. And I also want to give a big shout out to Charlie Brown III, who's playing keys on that track as well. Yeah, I'm, I haven't heard that song in a long time. I'm really, really proud of it. It's beautiful. Well, it, it's fantastic. Sarah, you're a Portland native. That's kind of a rarity. <laughs> know many people that <laughs> stick around in their hometown. But you know what I want to talk about is how you became a musician and how you found your way into the Portland music scene and Dirty Revival, of course, as well. Yeah, um, I, I would call myself probably a late bloomer a little bit when it comes to finding music as a you know viable or any type of career path. I although I was really attracted to music growing up and I was singing in choirs and I did take you know, piano lessons briefly. After high school, I really, I didn't really see, I don't know, I, I it didn't, I guess I just didn't really see, think that there was much space for me in that world. So I kind of, I just started doing other things, just working, you know, trying to pay rent and do all the stuff that people have to do. Sure, um, exist, yes. And, and exist <laughs> and, you know, and, and live that life. And, you know, and, and that was kind of, that was just the path I was on for about 10 years. And I was very... Um, I, you know, I never went to college and I was just kind of, I felt, you know, drifting a little bit, I guess is a good word. And I got pregnant when I was 28 years old and I had my son Donovan and well, I had my son Donovan when I was 28. I like almost instantly after having a child, I was like, huh, there's like something really missing for me here, you know? And I, and I, I think that it's an interesting thing. The world speaks to you in different ways, everyone in different ways. But for me, I really started feeling bothered by the fact that I wasn't in, in my mind living up to any, any potential. I, I felt like I hadn't really given the things I loved a solid shot. I hadn't really given myself a real shot. Um, and so dirty revival was really the first, the first time I'd ever experienced, you know, like holding a microphone in my hand and singing on a stage with, you know, instrumentation that was not something I'd experienced up until, up until that point. And it was really infectious, you know, I like, and I put, you know, just a lot of, a lot of the band, my bandmates into the revival, we kind of put our whole, whole self into that project um, for a lot of years, you know, it was, and I would even say within that, I was not really part of the music scene. I was at a very blind, it was like, you know, horse blinders kind of mentality about, about the music I was making. It was kind of a dirty revival or nothing feeling mm -hmm. that I had, although I would like go out and see other people perform. And I was like, wow, like there's some really incredible, incredible musicians in the city. I didn't, you know, I, I felt I didn't really feel like I was part of, of the community until, you know, the years go by and, you know, we were touring and we were on the road. But I started, you know, meeting other other musicians in different ways, whether it was going out to see them or calling them into sub and dirty revival or getting a call to come sit in with their band at the Good Foot or something like that. I mean, I'd say it's been like, you know, probably like solid, like the last three or four years that I've really been kind of hyper-focused on the Portland scene. And of course that is, has only been, you know, magnified in the, in the last year or so with COVID, the ability to really look inwards sure. and, and look in, into what, you know, the wealth that we have within our space has, is, is something that, you know, you can't really ignore, not that you would want to, but yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like it was kind of a slow, it's been kind of a slow, you know, slow steps 
um, into the direction um, that I want to go to even finding the direction I want to go in, let alone getting to a place where I can say, yes, I'm a very happy member of the Portland music community and I'm glad to be there. And I'm, I'm glad to share the space with all the incredible artists that we have here, but I'm here and I love it. Well, we're glad you're here. (laughs) Dirty Revival, um, going strong since 2013. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, okay. Going strong until, yeah, until 2020 kind of, yeah, (laughs) until 2020, 2020. Let's yeah. Well, (laughs) Well, you guys have done some extensive touring over the years. I mean, I, You've played with George Clinton and nothing is is cooler than that. I'm sorry to say it, but <laughs> nothing is cooler than that. And you've built up a, a really dynamic fan base. So let's talk about 2020. What what did the shutdown of venues, what did that mean for you for Dirty Revival? And and touch a little bit on how you see that, which you did just a moment ago, on how you see that having affected the local music scene. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a really... For Dirty Revival, it was a really interesting time. You know, we were, I mean, tired. And like, I don't even think I realized how exhausted I was, um, and and by extension, the band was, until the shutdown happened and we were forced to ground ourselves. Um, but we had been, you know, touring essentially nonstop for five years. Um, yeah. and, and it became pretty... I mean, you know, I, I think that we, we were, it's like kind of when you're, you get used to something and you're like, yeah, I can continue to do this. Why would I stop doing this? But, you know, in hindsight, I feel like we were really running ourselves into the ground and super, I mean, you know, aware of it and unaware of it, you know, um, unaware mm-hmm. maybe of like how, how much of a toll that was really taking on us as people and our relationships together and, um, and our relationship with the music we were making. But you know, we, we were set to go on the road with Galactic, um, right as the shutdown happened. And yes, yes. That was going to be one of our biggest support tours, you know, that we'd ever, I mean, actually maybe like we, we'd done a lot of support, support gigs for large groups and, and, you know, relatively, um, established musicians, but never, um, had we done like a full supported, like, you know, a tour supporting a, an act like a complimentary act like that. And so, um, mm-hmm. we, it was kind of, it was just what we were all very much so looking forward to it, but I will be honest that I think the whole band <laughs> kind of see this collective sigh of relief uh-huh, at, the pro- yeah. at the prospect of not getting back in that van again, you know, and driving for a million right. hours. So, you know, it was like, it was an interesting thing. Like at first I, I was very sad and then I was, very happy like as I settled into being at home and spending more time with my mom and spending more time with my son you know really you know walking all around the city and being able to explore it in ways that I just had not done in years um you know I mean obviously at that time there was no music happening anywhere so it wasn't like I was able to like go check out the scene or anything it was truly just next like exploration of the pavement and the space that we that we have around us and you know, and, and I, and I feel like I sat in that space of, you know, honest, like gratitude for a couple months. And then I started to get the itch, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the kind the sadness settled in again. And it was like, and so I feel yeah. like it's been this kind of interesting, um, 
rolling ball of emotion emotional yeah. ebb and flow absolutely yeah. it's just funny because um you know our guitarist's name is ebb and flow um i can't hear the term ebb and flow without thinking oh. of him <laughs> um but yeah it was a, it was like it was a, it was kind of this emotional upheaval and, and only now as we're kind of starting to see this space where artists and venues are the sun's coming out people are able to um, you know, play music outside and do these things. Once again, I'm feeling like a little encouraged for the future. But it's it's been an interesting thing to watch, you know, like uh, close up in real time, Portland go through this incredibly unique experience. You know, there's nothing to compare it to because nothing like this has ever happened in my lifetime. There's no way to to know what, whether anything we've done is right or any, you know, it's like, it's very challenging. Right. But you know, there were some things mm-hmm. that I saw happening even last summer that I thought was were a beautiful representation of the artistic spirit within the city. The fact that, you know, people were doing pop-up shows in parks. I did a few without our orbit myself. Um, you saw a kind of art kind um adapting yeah and refusing to to die in a space where yeah a lot of the platforms that had been created to showcase that art had been had been removed and of course meanwhile there's i mean there's a lot of turmoil within that too what's going to happen to our venues what's going to happen to these stages that that we rely on and love and want to support um there was i mean a lot going on behind the scenes but regardless of all of that um i kind of i think it's just like a great little uh vignette of the human experience um and the human Mm -hmm. soul and the refusal to quit it's a testament to the resilience of the city and the people that appreciate this city and appreciate the culture that the city brings absolutely absolutely uh so you mentioned it so let's talk about it outer orbit yeah so outer orbit is Maybe one of my favorite projects ever, um, not just because the music is so fun to play and to and to write, but also the individuals I get to share that space and uh, share the stage with when it's a stage or the grass with when we're in a park. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Um, but the band is the brainchild, if you will, of Galen Clark, who is an incredible keyboard player. Um, in Portland, he's also the band leader of Trio Subtonic, which is like a beloved jazz trio, often um, often featuring Dan Balmer. So like a lot of great, great players within that that sphere. Wow. Um, but he, yeah. you know, he came up with Outer Orbit as a it was a, it was a funk project. It was like a I mean, I, I don't want to call it like a good foot project, but, you know, it, like it was definitely like a like a funk party project. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so he and he built that band with, you know, honestly, some of my favorite players in the city, Tyrone Hendricks on the drums, uh, Damian Erskine on the bass, one of my best friends, Peter Knutson on guitar, Mikey Elson also on keys, and he's just incredible. And I had been, you know, when I was in town, when Dirty Revival was in town, I had been joining them uh, primarily at the Goodfoot, you know, and then and, and playing some songs. And, and we just really gelled well together and Galen and I um started writing songs here and there to you know as as a as a team he would kind of he would come with this uh you know a groove or something that he is playing on the organ or maybe the Wurlitzer and send it over to me and I would you know toss it around and come up with some lyrics and a melody yeah and and we just 
started building out original material in that way and also just spend some time in the studio creating a record in general and then you know we had a pandemic and we were kind of trying to finish up this record in bits and pieces you know out outside and as safe as possible that's a, you know so we did have a couple very masked mm-hmm. up recording <laughs> sessions but you know i uh again there's not only is this band like incre- incredible it's like filled with these incredible studied musicians but they're also some of the nicest people i've ever met and also people that i absolutely used to go see play live before i was really considered myself to be part of the scene and i would sit in the audience and be like oh my god <laughs> these people are so incredible oh, like what cool. would it take for me to ever that's be on cool. stage with Tyrone yeah. hendrix or damien erskine like i it never it really never occurred to me at that time in my young career that I would ever be in a band with them. And so about a few, about a year ago, we decided to make it official. So it's like, like asking someone on a date, do you want to be in my band? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Do you like me? (laughs) Um, But we decided to, you know, I I joined the band officially um, and we still work with a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a collective in a lot of ways. We are so lucky to have, um, to be able mm-hmm. to work with some incredible artists, you know, Trent Barspool will come and play guitar. Jimmy Russell will come play sometimes. Brian Foxworth, Arietta Ward, LaRonda oh. Steele. Like we have some incredible. Oh, you guys are not messing <laughs> around. You are not messing around. <laughs> we are very around. lucky to have such an, I mean, again, that's just this, the music scene in Portland is fire. <laughs> it's just like an amazing thing. So yeah, you know, I, I really, really, really love those guys. I'm really grateful to have been able to release so far we released one single we're going to release more singles we're going to release a whole record i'm really excited to see where this project goes i feel very 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 lucky to be a part of it yeah and you just released this single recently right i mean this just came out on the 23rd we released nina with john medeski and so that's we're just seeing how that's moving around out there in the world and um you know i'm very very proud of that track All right. Well, let's hear that track. This is uh, Outer Orbit on Portland Radio Project.
are chatting with Sarah Clark here today on PRP and that was new music from her collab Outer Orbit that baseline everything <laughs> yeah everything Sarah is lending that beautiful voice to more than just songs she uses it to stand up and speak out on behalf of the BIPOC community let's talk about musicians in solidarity you are founder and president of this nonprofit whose mission is to ensure an inclusive and supportive music industry how is musicians in solidarity doing that and why well, let's let's start with the why first. I think that's that kind of sets the stage a little bit. Okay. So it's I mean, we talked a little bit about COVID. It was a very wild year. Um, and part of the other, you know, something that really happened within that time that I think is is um, was very interesting for our entire our local landscape, our national landscape, global um, was the death of George Floyd and the magnification of the violence against black Americans in the United States of America, something that we all know 
to exist. And we've, I, I think it's something that we've always known has existed. Obvious. I mean, I, I know I have, I think many people have, um, but whether or not, you know, we were forced to sit in our homes and confront that face to face in such a painful mm-hmm. way, I'm not sure if the collective psyche of our collective psyche had ever done anything to that scale. Um, and the, and the result was intense, you know, the protests that took up Portland streets, the, the reactions on, you know, all across social media, you know, the calls for justice and not just for what was happening and what had happened within recent months at the time, but also what had been happening historic, that had the historical implications, the issues that, you know, we've, we've been facing as, as a national community in dealing with racism and, and how it affects our daily lives, the systemic issues that arise from it. And then, of course, the continued issues that, you know, even after the whole world is watching there, you know, we continue to see these things um, happen regularly. Um, and in that time, you know, there was a lot of a lot of anger. I, I was very, very angry and very scared. You know, I have a, I have a I'm raising a young black man, you know, um, I, yes. I see, yes. I see how the world treats young black men and black men in general. And I, and that for me is a very scary place to be as a parent. Um, just what, you know, just that kind of understanding that there's, um, how do I, how do I convince the world not to hurt my child, you know, and that, that seems that maybe it sounds a little dramatic, but it's a dark, dark space to to be in and to think about to have to think about that all the time. But that is what so many um, parents of, of BIPOC kids are thinking every day. Um, that is the experience. That's the true and honest lived experience. And so, you know, I I wanted to do something, and so I I, I mean, I protested. I went to a few protests. I. I mean, you can call me a baby if all you want. Tear gas. I, t- I got tear gassed exactly twice and was like, there's got to be a better way. I can't. Um, it, this yeah. is a very, very pain. So like props to the to the folks that that put up with that and then continue to be out there using their voice because that is no joke. It's a pretty, pretty brutal experience. You know, and I, 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 you know, I would take Donovan to as as the you know, the protests were often starting at Revolution Hall and we'd sit in the park and cheer on the protesters mm-hmm. as they marched out and then you know I'd take him home we're trying trying to find the best ways to include him and and I also you know wanted to I wanted to have a I wanted to feel like I was doing something but that wasn't really enough and and the protests the you know as as much as I 100% stand behind every american's right to peacefully protest and to and to make noise and to be heard um, I, I wanted to do it in a different way. And so something that was really, really kind of eating at me and bugging me a lot was like, you know, I've been, I've been touring for years. I've been touring for five years. And I was just wondering where are all these venues and festivals and concert series that I've played at that, that rely on, on and make money off of you know, black musicians, brown musicians, where are all these people that are, capitalizing off of this art that are created by, by the people that are calling for allies at this moment. Like where are these entities? And so I, and initially kind of, it started out as this defiant reaction to not seeing enough of what I wanted to be seeing. 
And I, and I think, you know, and early on what we were, you know, I, I'd created a Facebook group and it was, it was a pretty wild Westy Facebook group, you know, just a lot of, um, call outs, a lot of, uh, I mean, I would call it like a call out platform, a lot of canceling. And I, I wasn't a hundred percent comfortable with that either. And not because, okay, then very clearly, like, not because I don't think that there should be, people should be held accountable for, for what they do or what they don't do. I do think that, but I'm also wanting there to be a constructive way to move forward. And, and I don't even really exactly know what that means, but I did, I was able to say that some of what was happening didn't feel completely constructive. And so during this time, I had been talking to a few um, other musicians, friends of mine that were helping out kind of moderating this Facebook group. And we were like, whoa, this is wild. Like what, 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 what should we do with all of this energy? And we agreed to start a 501c3 and figure out a way to ba- try to band musicians together to help build the equity that we saw lacking in our own industry. And the, originally the idea in my mind was that this could be in any industry. It could be, you know, nurses in solidarity. It could be, you know, teachers in solidarity. It doesn't, it, it's the, the idea being that you, you, we all live in our own space. You can't fix everything. You know, you can't, I don't have any idea really how to fix equity on a grand scale in America. You know, that's, that's outside of my ability, but I, I do know a lot about the music industry and I do know enough to be able to start moving in an equitable direction in that space. And so that was, that was really where it started um, was just, we want to make some change and we want to do it together. And, and we think that this is something that can be accessible for everybody. So we, it's been, you know, it was interesting. We, I immediately applied for the 501 C three classification from the IRS and, then we started kind of dabbling in different things. We did the In Solidarity series where we were directly giving artists of color platforms to perform uh, via live stream and encouraging people to support the artists directly. Um, we started looking into larger programming ideas, um, talking about what about, you know, equity training within venues, you know, so we can like, how are we getting people of color into these places where they're being seen to even be, you know, sound engineers or just in or or bookers or buyers or in that dialogue, you know, so right. so we yeah. are, you know, we're currently building a, a program with Corwin Equity Group that is focusing on um, like equitable tr- equity training for musicians and, um, oh. you know, people within the music okay. industry. We I we saw an opportunity to do some work within the um, in the field of education and music education and created uh kina lynn muir who is the vice president of musicians in solidarity and a very good friend came up with a really wonderful idea for make waves which is a program um, that we're doing currently in partnership with ethos to raise money to put kids um, of color um, and from other underserved areas in our community um, into free music lessons and provide them with the instruments that they need and provide them with the tech they need in order to learn, uh, do distance learning. So, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, that's neat. That's really neat. And so there's, I mean, there's a lot of different, I mean, I would say that what musicians in solidarity was a year ago, we're not going to be in, I get the close of our, you know, original, like that year, 
will have changed. And I'm sure that in the next another year will have changed again. I'm not a, <laughs> I don't have very much, um, I don't really know how to run a, a, a nonprofit. So, <laughs> but it's all volunteer, you know, and we're all just doing our best to figure out how, and I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Like we're not in the nonprofit business. We are musicians that are just trying to execute an idea. So yeah, that's, that's musicians in solidarity. Well, I think when you have a collection of volunteers that come together, the amazing part of that is the driving force is passion because you're doing it for nothing else than seeing a, a, a forward momentum and a change. You are also co-director of Leap alongside all of these other things that you do. Uh, and you, you share that directorship with the uh, multifaceted and talented David OG1 Jackson. Leap uh, is an arm of Music Portland, and it's an acronym for Leadership Equity and Advocacy Project. In a couple words, can you define the mission of LEAP? Yeah, so whereas Music Portland really focuses a lot on advocating for the music industry as a whole, you know, and, and finding representation within our local government to support the industry, um, our goal and what, what David and I do is focus within that music industry on the communities of color whose whose voices may go unheard just like they have historically in every other situation um, while we're having this dialogue, while we're advocating for the music industry in Portland, we advocate for the communities of color within that industry. And our, you know, our goal is to, to support as best as we can to um, help provide opportunities or, you know, even direct people into into places that maybe have traditionally felt like the doors were closed. Maybe they're not closed. They just need a little help being opened. You know, um, they're not closed forever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot. There's a lot of interesting things within our with our our community here in Portland. Um, but someone recently said something to me along the lines of that. You know, the music industry here is happens in spite of, not because of um, our actions, and so that really resonated mm-hmm. with me when I heard it. And that's something that I feel yes. like is something yes. that we can do in leap. We want to be, we want to help communities of color in the music industry thrive because of our, like, we want to, we want there to be a because not an in spite of all the difficulties we want to help push things forward yeah. in a positive way. There is a lot to dive into with respect to your work with Leap. So we're actually continuing this conversation on this Sunday's episode of Culture Hub PDX. Sarah and I will be joined with her Leap co-director, OG1, as well as Music Portland Board and Policy Council member, Jamie Dunphy. You can listen to that conversation at 5 p.m. this Sunday, May 2nd. Sarah, thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, you're not really with me. We are remotely separated. But it feels like we're close. (laughs) Well, it does feel like we're close. And I will tell you one of my big things about doing these interviews remotely is I'm not sure I'm going to remember what it feels like and looks like to be presentable in front of people anymore. (laughs) I'm a little scared of that. I'm definitely wearing slippers right now, so I totally understand where you're coming from. (laughs) Okay. Me too. Me too. Me too. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. For more information on Sarah, you can check out dirtyrevival.com, musicportland.org, and musiciansinsolidarity.org. We'll make it easy. We'll have all of those links posted in our blog post on our website, prp.fm. So do check that out. And don't forget to tune in this Sunday at 5 p.m. for our Leap-focused episode of Culture Hub PDX.
Thank you all for tuning in to another PRP drop-in session. Cyrus Nabapur is our engineer and editor, and I'm Veronica Bezesti, host and producer, leaving you with one last treat, Dirty Revival with Dirty Love on Portland Radio Project.